All I cared about was MTV and Skinamax. That was all I gave a shit about. Oh my goodness, the fuzzy screen. (laughs) Keep tuning until the fuzzy screen is a little less Well, you just wait. You just had to sit there and watch it. It would like scramble and unscramble, scramble, and and we'd be like, ooh, oh, ooh. Hey, I'm Sailor, and it's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. And you know what? Sometimes you just have to fight for your right to. And I just want to say, you guys, before we get started, I have been waiting to cover this band since day one of this podcast. As a New Yorker originally, as a kid that grew up in the 70s and 80s, I am beyond excited. And I know, Matt, I know you feel the same way because we're both from the same place. I feel exactly the same way. Um, And like you, Sailor, I have New York in my blood. Uh, I can't think of another group that is as synonymous with New York City as the group we are going to talk about tonight. Uh, To me, they are but one part of the fabric that makes that city the greatest in the world. Hell yes. But uh, before we get to that, let's cover the fact that we don't understand on this show what the word typically means. I took it out. Um, I took typically <laughs> out. Look, I changed it finally. I don't read what I don't read what's on here. I just Thanks make it up a as lot. I go. I look hard for use, the we money. Don't use Dave. A Thanks a lot, Jesus. I use it more of like just kind of a an outline, a light of guide. Who, yeah, you know, I just kind of like to, I, wa- I walk my own path. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> on on some episodes that we do that we call typical, <laughs> we uh, will take a couple albums from one artist and battle them against each other and discuss their merits, and we'll debate those merits, and in the end, we vote on which album will reign supreme. But tonight is not one of those nights at all. Yeah, we're going to divert from the normal process. Um, Tonight, we will be discussing those boys from New York. The Beastie Boys! But... Again, before we get into that, another huge topic on this show is whiskey. I believe uh, our very own New York bread sailor has uh, the whiskey segment tonight. (laughs) (laughs) New York bread. (laughs) That sounds so weird. I don't know why. (laughs) It's part 
than calling her white bread. Yeah. Uh, don't fucking call me white bread. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got called that a few times. I am an olive bread if I am any bread. That would be olive bread, thank you. <laughs> More of a pumpernickel? No, olive. I am Greek. It would be olive. Olive, yeah. <laughs> pumpernickel. <laughs> What the fuck would pumpernickel be? I, I'm thinking I, more the like the to tone. Yeah, I think at this point <laughs> these, these two guys are white bread. You know, I'm Italian. My tone. I, I don't right? know. I gotta right? tell you, is uh, at this point at this point in my life, I'm I might be full on rye bread just from. Uh, <laughs> I guess I could be called a corn muffin then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Touche. A malted corn muffin. <laughs> Colin bread. Oh fuck! What's everybody drinking tonight? You know what? <clears throat> I I actually okay. So before we, uh, I actually did try to pair something with with the BC Boys because this, you know, I this is like the greatest stretch of episodes for me because we're just hitting. I mean, even with what we're going to be discussing next week, which I'm not going to bring up, we're hitting on like four in a row of my four of my favorite bands. So this is absolutely amazing. I'm I'm drinking. Hold your horses before you comment. <clears throat> I'm drinking a, a Four Roses pick. Of course. <clears throat> but wait, but, but wait, but wait. But it's a it's a sample. So. It's a sample bottle. Because who are, who is the greatest band of samplers ever? The Beastie Boys. <coughs> Beastie Boys. <laughs> and Good job. Uh, Good job. Yes. It's it's a pick from uh, from Elixir down in Nashville. And the name of the pick is called "I'll Be Back," and it has a cartoon of. Arnold Schwarzenegger on it, and to make that connection is that uh, one of the, uh, I guess well, we might get into this, but um, the BC Boys have kind of been outspoken as to when and how their music can be used in different forms of media, and, and one of the forms that they did sign off on was in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It was one of the first places where their song was actually used in a movie, and they signed off on that, so I... Hmm. I f- figure it's a good roundabout way to connect it. It's a little, little <clears throat> bit, but okay, okay. Mm-hmm. It's a little, yeah, a little roundabout is a good word. But all right, I'll take it. Edward? Well, also what me might be considered a roundabout. Um, <laughs> I, was, I also wanted to pick um, something appropriate. Um, I did the best I could do. Um, I don't have anything from the East Coast, per se, but um, this bottle of Bowman Brothers Virginia Straight Bourbon Whiskey may not have been born on the East Coast. It was born in Kentucky, but it went to finishing school on the East Coast (laughs) in bourbon. (laughs) So anyway. Okay. I thought for that. sure you were going to drink that uh, that monkey shoulder and call it your brass monkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Brass monkey shoulder. Hey, I might do Jake, that Jake, you on. stole my thunder, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do you have a brass mug over there? No. And some monkey shoulder? No. <laughs> How about you, Matt? What you got? Well, I did not go around to best. I went a little bit more direct. Yeah, and my would. two cohorts here, because uh, <laughs> I do have a lot of New York whiskey. So uh, I did. I'm actually doing a trio of whiskeys for the three men in this group, um, and they're all from they're all from Hudson. So I have the Hudson New York Corn Whiskey, clear, 
uh, the four grain bourbon and the baby bourbon. And they're all delicious, as Sailor knows. As I do. Very good. I like it. Mm -hmm. So are you drinking your whiskey segment currently, Mm -hmm. or are you drinking something else? Okay, then. Yes. But I am drinking a beer tonight with my whiskey. Well, what's the beer you're drinking? Or is that part of your whiskey segment, too? It is not. So. I'm drinking a beer tonight with my whiskey because originally I'm a New Yorker. Even though I consider myself a boss tonight these days, my soul is in New York, and that's where I come from. So I, I was like, should I go out and buy a 40? Because that's what I used to do. I'd sit <laughs> and I'd drink a 40. That's what you did. That was yeah. the thing. You'd have a little bit of, you know, Brass Monkey, whatever it was, Night Train, Mad Dog 2020, Boone's Farm, garbage, whatever. Well, it's good Farm, good to know there's yeah. trailer parks in New York, too. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Upstate. So, yeah, yeah upstate. I am not drinking a 40, unfortunately. Um, but I am drinking my whiskey pairing, so um, I'll, I'll hold off for a second. So what beer are you drinking? I'm actually drinking a beer from, I think it's from here. I don't know. It's in my parents' refrigerator. It's called Kokanee. It might be Canadian. I don't know. It's pretty <clears throat> bad, actually. It's like really, actually really bad. Sorry, Kokanee. Kind of garbage. Kind of, what kind of beer is it? It's a be- lager of some sort. Oh. It's a you know when you just want to be like it's a beer. You don't know yeah. if it's a pilsner yeah, yeah. or a lager. It's just <clears throat> it, a beer. It, no, it's you just a lager. Ex- yeah. You don't need to expound anymore. Like you just that's where you go into yeah. like. A, a bar that's local to that area, you say, I want a beer, and that's what they give you. Yeah, no, yes. If it was a Pilsner, it would have some sort of flavor to it. It's probably just a, a American adjunct lager but, or something like that. Yeah, th- yeah, I'm pretty sure this is Canadian. And, you know, they, they, they yeah. used to do beer pretty well, but I don't think they do anymore. <clears throat> Sorry, they all taste Canada. the same. <laughs> would you say it was a strange brew? Oh, oh. good job, Ed. <laughs> We were song. just talking about that before the show. Yes, we were. The movie, not the song, but the movie "Strange Brew." How it's the one. The song of my, is fantastic too. The song's really fantastic. "Strange Brew" is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm going to give a shout out to one of my besties, Timmy. Him and I, when we were youngins, Timmy, Timmy <laughs> we used to have this thing. Like every fall or winter, we'd get together and we'd be like, "All right, we're going to do our Strange Brew night." And I would make poutine, and we would get Canadian beer, and we'd get wasted <laughs> and watch Strange Brew like three times, like crying, laughing, even though we'd seen it a thousand times. It, it seems like best. that would enhance that movie. <laughs> like being under the influence of something mm-hmm. while you must, you're yeah. watching that movie. Watching it sober is probably not as entertaining, <laughs> I hate to say it, but yeah. <laughs> If you're of a certain age, you probably know what movie we're talking about. If you're not, have a few beers and then watch it and you'll laugh a lot. Have a few brewskis, say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hoser, take off, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing is, I live in a state where that kind of language is spoken yeah. <laughs> quite readily. Yeah, they're your next door neighbors. <laughs> well, you're all, close All enough. around yeah. us. All around us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sale. So- Sailor, are you ready to reveal your whiskey pairing for this evening? Get that yeah. beer, get that beer flavor out of your mouth, and tell us about some whiskey. Yeah. Hey Ed, will you please spin that record and wax some brass monkey for me? 
Sorry, I've, let me Man, just say, ahead of time, song. I have a cold, so I'm sniffly, so I apologize to everybody. It's actually already winter where I am, which is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a really difficult time. I bet you I say, I bet you I say this every time I do the whiskey segment, but sometimes I feel like it's more challenging than, actually, I didn't say that for Rush. I get, maybe I don't, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um, I think there's certain bands, especially if, if, if a band connects to you on, on kind of like a, um, an emotional or a, a level that you really connect with. I, it, I, it's almost like you try so hard to yes. honor to honor the mm-hmm. memory of the band with the with what you're picking that yes. it, it does. It makes it it makes it just a little bit more difficult. And I don't know yeah, that rush I, one seemed pretty difficult to me. I don't know. <laughs> see, for me that was like instantaneous. I knew what yeah. I wanted to do. I got it. It was right there. This one I that was struggled the poem, right? with. What? You did the poem for the I did. Rush one, I did right? the poem. Yeah, that was yes. awesome. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Um, so I struggled with this one because there are, for those those of us that are New Yorkers, anyone listening to this show, if you are from New York, mm-hmm. that is, the New York of the time we're going to talk about when the BC Boys came up and, and became who they are, their time in music, my time growing up there, was a, it's a different New York than it is now. So that makes it a little bit emotional. I'm hearkening back to a time where I feel like it was the real New York and I don't feel like New York is New York anymore. Um, So I'm trying to pay homage to not only that time in my home city, but also this band who I have loved since day one and then respect the whiskey too. And I went in very different directions. At first I was like, what if I do beer? And I'm like, ha, suckers, I'm doing beer. How crazy is that? And I was like, I can't believe you do that. Then I was like, I'm going to do, like, what would I have drank back then? And I was like, I can't talk about this garbage whiskey. Like, it's, what are you going to talk about? This is what I drank. It was funny. I had a paper bag around it. Some Spanish fly. Cheap. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I just mentioned, like, you know, like, I don't know, fucking shit whiskey. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to research what was the most popular whiskey sold in the U.S. in 1984. Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> it was a bad time for whiskey. Could I was like speak about that blended. whiskey with? Oh, it was it was basically <laughs> Canadian high. whiskey. It was like Canadian Club, um, Black Velvet, uh, oh, just just garbage. Mostly. If you please, Canadian Mist. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Jake. Yes, Canadian Mist is another one. Yeah, and then I just kind of you know my collection is not with me. I did bring two boxes of whiskey with me which were select things and i was like what's in my boxes let me just look and it and i just saw it and i was like oh my god and i googled it i'm like what if it's the same year holy shit it's the same year so here we go and pardon my sniffles again i apologize in 1984 in frankfort kentucky nearing his retirement Elmer T. Lee, master distiller at Buffalo Trace, wanted to create a bourbon that was of exceptionally high quality and something special for whiskey drinkers to seek out. That year, Blanton's released the first single-barrel bourbon ever. The idea of this release was to revive the American whiskey industry, and it actually did just that. He did something new, something innovative, something that would be groundbreaking. He literally revolutionized the American whiskey industry by creating a super premium category. That simply, but that amazing. During the same year, three kids from a New York City punk rock band were making some changes to their lineup and honing in on a new style of music. 
This new music style would also be groundbreaking. They would go on to write a landmark album in hip-hop history, helping to define an entire genre of American music. For those of you that are not familiar with Blanton's, here is the inspiration. Elmer worked under Colonel Blanton when he was, Colonel Blanton was distillery president. Colonel's favorite warehouse was Warehouse H, which he had built shortly after Prohibition when production ramped up to meet hopeful demand. He ordered that a metal warehouse was to be constructed as that would be quicker than building a wooden rickhouse. Of course, this warehouse aged the barrels differently than a wooden warehouse would. Temperature changes happened more quickly, causing the liquid in the barrel to interact with the wood in the barrels at a much faster rate. Also inside this warehouse, he had his honey barrels, which were the best picks in the warehouse. He would entertain important guests and dignitaries, often choosing barrels from the center of Warehouse H, and he would have that bourbon bottled up one barrel at a time without blending. This created a unique taste profile, a variety of flavors, and at the time, a very unique bourbon. You may know these bottles from seeing them in liquor stores. They are short and almost grenade-like shaped. Each one has a horse and jockey atop its stopper. Each horse is in a different position as to reflect the beginning to the end of a race. Also, each stopper spells out the words B-L-A-N-T-O-N-S. The final stopper is the second S, and it is the finish, or some would say, the winning position of the race. So, just to touch on the tasting notes of Blanton's, if you have not had it, I highly recommend trying a bottle of Blanton's. And you can go with the original single barrel. Don't spend a gazillion dollars before you've tasted it and you've decided that you like it. But here are my tasting notes. This is a sweet bourbon, a total vanilla bomb on the nose, and at the tip of the palate. You'll have warm citrus like tangerine and orange follow with a soft oak and subtle woodsiness. Butterscotch and caramel meet you in the middle with baking spices that are prominent in the finish. Nutmeg and cinnamon linger. Then that lovely amount of heat with just the perfect Kentucky hug for you. So my connection is, as I stated in the beginning, the years line up perfectly, both groundbreaking moments in music (laughs) and in whiskey history. And it's interesting and it's sweet all at the same time and unexpected. Nice job. That's That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Whiskey pairing. That was fantastic. Thank the you. way you described that Blanton's whiskey Great makes job. me want to try it again. <clears throat> it's I, definitely, I'm... you know, every every release is going to be different. Every bottle, you know, sure. like, this is yeah, very important exactly. to note about it. And there are different levels. So I, I'm speaking about the original regular single barrel. But um, you can spend a little bit more, get different barrels. We talk about store picks a lot on the show. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you can ask your local liquor store, hey, do you do store picks of any whiskey? They might say no. They might say yes. You can do a little Facebook search or Google search, depending on what city you live in. Is there a whiskey society in my city? You can ask to join that society. They often do picks. Um, you, as we've described many times, your picks sometimes are better than just the regular offering because someone has taken the time to say, I'm choosing just this barrel for this yep. reason. Or it's a combination <clears throat> of several people. Some of us on here have done this ourselves, and it's it's um, grueling work because you feel like, oh, God, the weight of the world <laughs> is on me. Um, but you're usually going to get 
Not all the time, but usually you're going to get um, a better pick. But just the original single barrel Blantons to me is such a beautiful expression of what American bourbon is, what American whiskey is, what bourbon has to offer. And having someone who came up as a kid who was a maintenance tech and then became master distiller underneath one of the most prolific um, American whiskey personalities there is in the history of American whiskey, watched him carefully, watched him entertain people in this warehouse, you know, not in a fancy room, not in a fancy restaurant. He would bring them to this dusty metal warehouse and say, come into the middle of the warehouse and we're going to try this whiskey. And and it was very impressive to them. And to then say, I think this is going to save the American or relaunch, kickstart, whatever you want to call it. It was a very bad time for whiskey. It was a declining industry for American whiskey, that is. And to recognize that that might save whiskey is unbelievable and takes true genius and a true artist, in my opinion. Absolutely. I really wish I really wish that Buffalo Trace would re, I guess, maybe not reacquire. I wish they would acquire <clears throat> Blanton's because I agree. so many, I mean, we in the States, we get one version of the Blanton's. I know. But there... But there have been. Let's count through them. So there was, there was a, a specific um, release, the silver, which was for um, one distrib- distribution house in France. Mm-hmm. There was the black, which is the Japanese release. There's the straight from the barrel, which is international in general release, which to which to me is one of the best bourbons on the market. I mean that that is absolutely phenomenal. There's the gold, which is also just flat out international. You can get that at like I guess you can get in like the Bahamas as well as uh, in Europe and yeah. Asia. Same <clears throat> the same with the green. Did you the say green? Mm-hmm. The green already. So the green is the low proofer. That's the yeah. special reserve. And yeah. in my opinion, I've had. I've had most of these and <clears throat> excuse me, the, the green struck me as something that maybe was meant to, uh, maybe meant to kind of convert, I mean, not convert, but maybe for some of those scotch drinkers overseas that maybe like that 80 to 90 proof pour, mm. that's where that's, I see it on the shelf and I pass mm-hmm. on it. I'm not a huge Trying fan to entice of the regular the other drinkers. I, I love yeah. the straight from the barrel personally. I think that's the best offering. There's So there's the, okay, what do we go over? We went over the gold, the special reserve green. Silver. This, um, the, the American power, the American power, the straight from the barrel American power, which went to, um, where the hell did that go? Somewhere in Europe. You can't get that here either. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Sazerac owns, the Sazerac company owns Blanton's. Um, part of the issue with American whiskey these days is that during the period where American whiskey was in a slump and looked like it was probably going to be a complete and total failure, which was fair, um, Americans were so used to drinking Canadian whiskey and scotch that they could have given two shits about American mm-hmm. whiskey except for hobos running the rails. Um, I mean, that's unfortunately why so many people think wild turkey is garbage whiskey, and you can please keep thinking that. <laughs> keep that price point low. Go. I'm all right with it. Same with Evan Williams. I'm okay with it. Um, you know, so, so many uh, foreign companies bought up 
our American whiskey companies and distilleries and and distributors as well and have changed the face of whiskey. So now that we're in a full-on whiskey boom and Americans are like, hey, we're actually interested in our native spirit, want to drink our native spirit, spirit, depending on the house you're buying it from, the majority of that juice is still being <clears throat> shipped out to other markets. And it's a damn shame in my opinion. I'm not a protectionist at all, but I do feel like if a product is based in a certain area, that area should have first dibs, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Sailor, you bring up a great point because I just, um, I don't know if you follow Flask and Pen on Instagram. Um, she's over in China and she just had a, acquired a bottle. I think it was Wild Turkey 13 Year over there. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. Why don't we get that here? <laughs> I am so jealous. Mm-hmm. And flask and pen, send the samples. <laughs> From China. From China, we'll, yes. We'll PayPal you, I promise. <laughs> we will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, no, that's... Uh, uh, yeah. I have friends that buy from the Japanese whiskey, so it gets... So if it's bourbon, like I just said, it must be made in the continental U.S. Total package, right? So it gets made, packaged in the U.S., sent off to Japan... Then it gets sent off to Europe, where he's actually able to purchase it, and then it gets shipped back to him, and he's in one state over from Kentucky, just to buy the bottle. Yep. That was made next door to him. Hmm. Quick word about Sazerac, though. Being in retail for so long, um, and at least in New Jersey, I don't know if this was true in the other states. I would assume it is, but um, they micromanage the shit out of everything. And they mm-hmm. kind of, a lot of times they went over the distributor's head and make calls themselves. So let me give you, for instance, speaking of Blanton's, I was allocated one six pack of Blanton's per quarter at our store. It doesn't matter. It does. It didn't matter how much Sazerac stuff I carried. If I did 50 cases of platinum vodka a year, if I did a hundred fireball a year, if they walked in and they didn't see fucking Dr. McGillicuddy's schnapps on the shelf... I was cut. Oh man! So it's fucking it's it, it's a pure pay, it's a pure pay to play. Yeah, yeah. Shit that they run, and That's it pissed me I off to no end, exa- especially during yeah. the holidays when yep. you know I have to turn people away because I have six bottles of Blantons during fucking Christmas time. I don't want to have yep. to do that, but I had to because they're fucking assholes. That's just my yeah. She's All right, let's talk a little bit about the BC Boys. I'm going to give us just a little bit of background so that we remember what's going on with them and kind of put them into perspective a bit. Um, all right, but before we do that, I just put together a cup, a little, little bit of facts about the year 1984. So um, just to for those of you that were there, to remember, an amazing year for music. That were not, <laughs> to let you know what was going on. In 1984, Prince was topping the charts with Purple Rain. The Footloose movie soundtrack was a huge hit, and several songs from the tra- soundtrack would end up being chart toppers. Van Halen's Jump was another chart topper. And Run DMC's first album, self-titled, was released. Ghostbusters, The Terminator, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Gremlins were in the movie theater that <laughs> oh, year. Oh, heck yes. Yeah. 
and Wendy's Where the Beef campaign. <laughs> Where's the beef? I hope yes. you young guys know what that is. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Um, unfortunately, Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire while he was filming a Pepsi commercial. And Miami Vice... Who's the boss and ER all debuted on television hey, that year. Who's the boss? Do you, re- so you remember the joke that yes. was going around at that time about Michael Jackson? Which joke? The joke about oh, what, oh, what's oh, the boy. difference between Michael Jackson and Richard Pryor? Oh, God. I don't remember Oh, what. Jesus. But I want to hear this. Go. <laughs> Michael Jackson got burned by <laughs> Pepsi and, and Richard Pryor got burned by Coke. Oh, oh I do remember oh, that. Oh, good Good. Very good, very good. Anyway. Very good, yes. <laughs> All right. So in 1979, four kids from New York City formed a hardcore punk band, the Beastie Boys. In 1982, that band appeared on a compilation ca- compilation cassette called New York Thrash. The cassette also included Bad Brains and the Undead. By the way, not so bad. There were They were regular openers for bands... Like the Dead Kennedys, again, Bad Brains, the Misfits, and Reagan Youth at local New York City venues such as CBGB's. R.I.P. CBGB's. Mm-hmm. Then in 1983, the band released an ex- experimental single using a hip hop style rap and the use of samples. That single was Cookie Puss. Its success sparked the band to a full on transition to hip hop. They continued to release singles, and these singles continued to be successful locally. There were a few lineup changes that occurred. The original drummer, Kate Schellenbach, left and would later join Luscious Jackson. And the BC Boys became a solid three-piece at that point and adopted their new monikers, Mike D, Ad-Rock, and MCA. The band decided they needed a regular DJ for their live shows as well. They ended up hiring a new, <laughs> an NYU student. You guys might have heard of him. Rick Rubin, anybody? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never heard of him. You know, Who's that guy? That guy. <laughs> Master, Splinter. Guy. Master Splinter. Master Splinter. <laughs> have we ever talked about him on this show? <laughs> we have, and we actually said we were going to do a show on... We said we were going to do a show on Rick Rubin and to. other That is the same Rick Rubin. Produced, I was like, wondering about that. Oh, yeah. It is the same Rick right. Rubin. Oh, it's we, that guy. We, yeah, so yeah, we we'll, we will we will we will go back to we will we I don't forget where it came up, but we're gonna go back to this. It might have come up in Metallica, I can't remember. Um, so of course, Rick Rubin went on to be a producer and co-founder of Jeff Jam Records with Russell Simmons out of their NYU dorm room, you know, as one does. <laughs> like you do. Um, <laughs> Rubin, I didn't do that shit for my dorm room, but all right. Russell, Ruben and Simmons approached the band about producing a record for their new label. They released the 12-inch single Rock Hard. Uh, it was only the second record on Def Jam's catalog ever. They went on some pretty big tours soon after that. They opened for the Sex Pistols, Fishbone, and Madonna on her North American Ooh, like, Virgin tour. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then Run DMC and LL Cool J. Not a bad start, dudes. Before Jeez, you right? even have a full-length album. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? The biggest acts uh, in the world. Right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, as weird as Madonna is, that is like... But her Like a Virgin the tour? Person, the, probably the biggest person you could open for at that time. Yeah. Period. Ever period. at the period. moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 1985, their track Hold It Now hit it, charted on Billboard's US R&B dance charts. They didn't even have a full-length album out yet. So, all right, that would come next. The band recorded License to Ill in 1986 and released it in November of that year. The album was very well received. Rolling Stone titled an article about the album. Th- I'm going to quote, Three idiots create a masterpiece, end yep. quote. <laughs> Fucking amazing. 
License to Ill became the best-selling rap album of the 1980s and the first rap album ever to go number one on the Billboard 200. And it stayed there for five weeks. Mind you, Run DMC, which I am wearing a Run DMC t-shirt tonight just to represent New York. I do not have my Beastie Boys shirt with me. Their album came out first, but the Beastie Boys went on number one and stayed there for five weeks. Amazing. So this was Def Jam's fastest selling debut record to date and has sold over 9 million copies since. The video You've Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party was an MTV video hit and became a staple for more than a decade. A decade. It's crazy. (laughs) Songs from all over this album charted on various global charts. It would take me forever to list them all. It was just an absolute smash hit everywhere. Um, there are like eight, eight classic songs from that. Oh, absolutely! Album. Yeah, at yeah, least that's eight. Like, oh. Yeah, like all the the, yeah. the songs that charted and stayed on the charts for so long, yeah. like unbelievable. And it holds mm-hmm. up. So, it holds up. Totally oh yeah, holds absolutely. Up still. absolutely. Yeah. It's not, it, you don't listen to it and go, oh, "That's so dated." You're, you just right. listen to no. it and you go, "That's so creative." It's yeah. so yeah. creative. That's so awesome. Exactly. So they put together a license to ill tour and took it global in 1987. But it was not without a lot of controversy, as we discuss so often. I want to barf. <laughs> Here's the controversy, and I remember this. Well, I'll tell this for a second. <laughs> there were scantily clad women dancing in cages, mm-hmm. inflatable motorized penises, and <laughs> accusations of the band trying to incite riots. So I, um, we had just left. I can't remember where we were living. And uh, we were going through Oklahoma, and they were trying to cancel the, the show in Oklahoma. And I had tickets to it, and I was freaking out. And the only news you could listen to was the radio, because the TV wasn't talking about it. There was no internet or anything at the time. And it was like, well, are you going to... What This is what happened in those days. You'd show up, and maybe the show was canceled for some crazy reason. <laughs> so all of the local reverends and the churches were trying to get it shut down because of the ladies dancing in cages and all of a sudden boom i'm not allowed to listen to the beastie boys anymore great awesome um so (laughs) (laughs) there's a notorious show that happened um at the river court theater in liverpool england in may of 1987 a huge riot erupted about 10 minutes after the band hit the stage ad rock was arrested for assault and the show was canceled really trying to find information on exactly what happened at that show I don't know. If you were there, anybody that's living in the UK or, I don't know, you were there, let me know. Send me a message because I can't find shit about it. Yeah, I couldn't find... I don't know what happened. I couldn't find anything about that. No. Other than, I, other than like, what his arrest was for, assault with right. bodily harm. Bodily mm-hmm. harm. Yeah, bodily, that's, yeah. that's like all like, I could find. But if a riot is erupting... <clears throat> anyway, 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 we shouldn't speculate. So... After this, the success of this album, the band had a falling out with Def Jam Records and Rick Rubin in particular. They parted ways and they signed with Capitol Records. In 88, they entered the studio to record Paul's Boutique. This was seen as more of a mature album for them musically and artistically, but it failed to chart like License to Ill did, although it received rave review from critics. Like, first of all, how in the fuck are you going to chart again like that you're you're not going to no doesn't mean it's 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 a failure totally not um and as a matter of fact it was referred to as the pet sounds slash dark side of the moon of hip-hop and those are some heavy heavy words but it it, what yeah 
<laughs> Go ahead, Matt. This, this album is still <laughs> considered to be one of their best albums by critics, and it's actually considered as a landmark album in hip-hop recording for its heavy use of samples and exquisite multi-layering. Paul's Boutique would later go on to sell 2 million copies, even mm. though sales initially appeared to be weak out of the gate. Can I interject yeah. something? Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to an interview um, or a documentary about them bringing up Paul's Boutique. They said it would be impossible to make an album like that nowadays because it would be too expensive because of the <laughs> licensing rules now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They didn't have to yeah. follow back yeah. then. Yes, yes. Well, did you guys, Absolutely. Did you guys see... Uh, I also was listening to uh, watching an interview with uh, with with Mike D and he was they were asking him about like how how did it how did it not take off because you know here they are they're jumping right in with Capital coming off such a huge album and have you guys heard the story about uh, how Capital didn't put any money behind the marketing yes. of it because they were pushing Donny Osmond's new album. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And that's what used to happen back then. That's what used mm-hmm. to happen. And I think they thought, well, this band is just going to, I mean, sometimes, you know, they think this band's just going to sail on their last recording yep. and you'll hear the name BC boys and it will chart and whatever. And that's not always what happens. All they yet, did. Oh my God. Donny they, Osmond. They had, they had one, they had one major marketing piece. What was it? They had their own. They had a BC Boys American flag on top of the Capitol building because, for like for like a two week period, <laughs> that's right. That's for like a two week period when that album was released, uh, the original uh, George Bush had made it like they changed a law which made it legal to adjust or quote unquote deface an American flag. It was it only lasted for like two weeks, and so they kind of found that out. They made this mm-hmm. flag put it up on Capitol, and then as oh. soon as that law changed, they pulled it back down again. And just for yeah. clarification, when you say the Capitol building, you're not talking about the Capitol, oh, Capitol building. Records. You're talking Capitol about the Capitol Records, records building. Capitol right. Records yes, building. Yes, sorry, yeah. Capitol yeah. Records. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been fucking amazing. Yeah, right. I feel like yeah. it would have charted better if that was the case. But I agree. I agree. It is an, an extremely overlooked album. But I think, oh, big time. I think unlike the previous album, it lacks that real big, sort of sexy, big hit. You know, really, the first though, one if had. you go back, some uh, of your favorite songs aren't on Paul's Boutique. No, no. I All right, we'll get talking, into this later. We'll yeah, get into this after. We'll totally yeah, get into this after. Yeah. All right, we need, so, Matt, Matt, we need to pee before we get into topics like that. All right. Jeez, yes. come on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Do you want to pee now <laughs> or do you want to wait until I'm done? What, you want to you take a break now? We could. I need to grab What's another drink. What's the vote? I need to grab another drink. Who's the boss? You're All the right. boss. Let's, let's just take a break then. <laughs> So we're back from the break. Nobody peed their pants. Everybody's good. We refilled our glasses. And let's continue on. So next for the band came Check Your Head. On this album, most of the guys actually played instruments. It was released in 1992 and went double platinum. This album was again full of new elements and inspiration like funk and jazz. The use of instruments brought back a hardcore sound with the band while still remaining a hip-hop album. At this point, the BC Boys owned their own label. It was called Grand Royal, and they were signing other artists like Lusus Jackson, 
And along with the album was a magazine called Grand Royal. This was a very popular magazine at the time, and it was responsible for coining and popularizing many terms, one being the mullet, and for giving the band the sneaker pimps their name. Although the mullet was used, they think, before that, they were definitely responsible for coining the name mullet. So then in 1994, they released Ill Communication, and again, they were chart toppers. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard and several other charts. Sabotage was a breakout hit, and of course, who doesn't know the Sabotage video? Come on. It was directed by Spike Jones, and it was an MTV favorite again for many, many years after it was released. Awesome. awesome. They headlined Lollapalooza with the Smashing Pumpkins that year. And their success was put into a bit of perspective in 1995, just a year, actually less than a year after Ill Communication was released, when tickets went on sale at the Madison Square Garden, New York City, and tickets sold out in 30 minutes. The band as a whole became... (laughs) Somebody say something about mullet? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Nice. I wish the audio listeners could only see this. You look like you're right out of the sabotage video. (laughs) Man, that's not fair. I was like, you gotta fight. But you're right. Why aren't we on video? I took a photo of it. I'll put it on Instagram later. (laughs) (laughs) I grabbed this because as I was going through and watching their old the old videos and uh, you know they put those wigs on and the sun and the, oh, the aviators and this big sunglasses and I was like you know what I gotta I gotta grab this and have it ready yeah. just in case it gets brought up actually it looked you like you could have been on the no sleep till Brooklyn video <laughs> yeah oh Jesus all right where was I how do I recover from this I should I leave that on the rest of the recording come on yeah. man Okay. Okay. So, as I said, tickets went on sale for them to perform at the Madison Square Garden, and they sold out in 30 minutes. And no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, at this time, the band as a whole was very involved with various charitable causes, most notably the Free Tibet Movement. And they would begin to donate portions of their ticket and album sales to various charities for the rest of their career. Then, in, in 1988... Sorry, 1998. <laughs> Not going backwards. <laughs> Hello Nasty was released. It went straight to number one in the US, the UK, Australia, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Sweden. It was a chart Actually topper in, yeah, in many other global music charts as well. The BC Boys won two Grammys in 1999, Best Alternative Music Album and Best Rap Performance for Intergalactic. They also won an MTV... Video Vanguard Award for their contribution to music videos, and also a VMA for the intergalactic video. Personally, the band members were very outspoken about social injustice at the time and would support each other when speaking out. They used both of these MTV award ceremonies to speak extensively about the stereotyping and persecution of Muslims and the sexual assaults and rapes that happened during the 1999 Woodstock Festival. Also, the BC Boys were the first band to release their music available for download on their website and supported proper file sharing. In 1999, they released The Sound of Silence, which was a two-CD anthology of their music. It contained one new song, Alive, the album, and that song charted. In 2003, the band released a protest song called In a World Gone Mad. 
They offered it as a free download on several websites and continued to play the annual Free Tibet concerts as well. Then the album The Five Burrows was released in 2004, and this album was self-produced by them and reached number one on the Billboard charts. A few years later, the mix-up was released, and this would be their seventh studio album. This included a legal full stream of the entire album. It's considered by the band as a post-punk instrumental album. This album did chart, actually, and sold 44,000 copies in its first week, and they won a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Album. For not having This a is word. an instrumental <laughs> album, <laughs> yeah. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fuck. Uh, on April from, 27th... From a, band, from a band that was just... They weren't known as, you know, phenomenal instrumentalists. They were, no, you know, not they at were all. known from their rappers, for their, for their, their rap rappers, acumen, for their yeah. lyrics. Yeah. They're lyrical. And then they went and they went and came out with an instrumental album and it charted and sold 44,000 copies yeah. in a week and won a Grammy. What yeah. the fuck? Well, they are versatile musicians, though. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, they but they're all, yeah. they're just geniuses. Compared. Yeah. 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 So on April 27th of 2011, the BC Boys' eighth and final album was released Hot Sauce Committee Part Two. Initially, this album was to be released in two parts, one mm-hmm. obviously being released first, and then two after. But due to the illness of MCA, part one was delayed and would not come out. The album received critical acclaim and debuted at number two with Too Many Rappers and Make Some Noise as hits. Then sadly, on May 4th of 2012, Adam Nathaniel Yock, known as MCA, passed away after a battle with cancer. He was just 47. Mm. And I will also note at this time that John Barry, who was the original Beastie Boys guitarist, who was responsible for the band's name, passed away in May in 2016 at the age of 52. Ad Rock and Mike D say they will not continue to perform as the Beastie Boys, but they do plan to release a book titled Beastie Boys Book this October covering their entire career. Hmm. Raise, raise a glass to those guys. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Pour Thank one out. Yeah. One of my bits, biggest disappointments when I found out that it was Ad Rock and not Ed Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you can be Ed Rock. I was disillusioned for so many years. All right. At this point, I feel like we need to hear a little sabotage, and then we'll continue with our discussion. Sounds good. Yes. You. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Jake to finish and Ed to finish their beautiful. <laughs> We're so, you're supposed to talk like over our musical backdrop. <laughs> they planned it just All for right. you. So this is the point of the show. Before we get into the band, I think we have to touch at least. From Sailor and I's perspective about the New York factor and all of this, real quick, um, I could go on probably for the rest of the show about this, but I have to sort of clip my wings here and just keep it pretty brief. Um, But I think it's ironic, and this was not done purposely. Obviously, we have, you know, different things that push certain topics of shows back to certain weeks, and we have guests, and (laughs) we have, you know, deaths that come up, like Aretha or Vinnie Paul. Uh, But the fact that we are recording this about the Beastie Boys... Uh, one day removed from the 17th anniversary of September 11th attacks, I think is apropos. Um, and not to get too deep 
Um, I just find it fitting uh, that we're talking about them today. Uh, and not only do I feel, and you probably heard this a million times, but you know, on that day, obviously, we were all Americans, but we were also all New Yorkers, too. Whether you were, you were from New York yeah. or you are from any other part of the country, um, you know, that I just find it very fitting that we're talking about this band on this day, so close to the anniversary of that. Um, but real quick, my father was from Brooklyn. My mother was from the Bronx. I spent most of my childhood um, going to Queens to visit my grandparents who live right next Please. to La- right next to LaGuardia Airport. The house <laughs> shook every time a plane took off. Couldn't sleep a lick staying at her house. Um, but I always held Beastie Boys in a slightly higher regard only because they are, like I said before in the opening of the show, they are the fabric they are part of that fabric of the city, um, which I hold so dear in my heart. I wasn't born there, but I spent plenty of time there. Uh, and it, like I said, it's in my blood. So I'm sure Sailor will have the same sentiment as I do. Maybe even more so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I said this a little bit at the beginning of the show, touched on it. It did not... Um I did think a lot today about the fact that we were recording this on September 12th. I try to not pay too much attention to the anniversary of September 11th anymore, and I feel like I have the right to do that because I am an actual New Yorker, and um, I had some some close circumstances with that whole experience. Um, I, I think I, I get to have a little bit of space from it 17 years later. Um, but... To get away from being too heavy, um, to me, growing up, New York City was a, a big, small town. It was a neighborhood. And most New Yorkers, I think, coming from, you know, any time before the 90s would probably say the same thing. Because most likely, they grew up where their parents grew up and where their grandparents grew up or where their grandparents came to the country, which is my experience. Um, so... It was all about your neighborhood, it was about your borough, and it was, you know, often about your ethnicity. You know, I came from Astoria, Queens. It was the Greeks. We were Greek. Oh, the Greeks are the best. The Italians <laughs> suck or whatever. You know, that's just let's, how it let's went not, Let's hey, not forget that. Uh, yeah. Let's not forget it was originally New Amsterdam, and it was a Dutch settlement. <laughs> okay, whatever. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> That's the what my gra- that- my grandma used to always tell me. My, my yeah. grandparents were from the Netherlands, and that's what my grandma used to You know that that was a, that was a Dutch settlement first. They still feel like they, the, <laughs> just so you know, in Holland, they in the Netherlands, they still feel like America is their yeah, little still baby, New Amsterdam. which is yeah. Um, so so things that come from I call it old New York because um, it's a different city these days are very dear to my heart and this band is one of those things because this band reminds me of a time even though new york city was considered one of the most dangerous places in the u.s when i was growing up there i didn't feel that way we would run the streets and um you know everybody knew everybody and you could hang out in the park at night and you could i would get sent to run 12 blocks to get bread from the store where my great-grandmother and um, you know, if you got in trouble, you were probably getting in trouble by somebody else's mom, and then she'd tell your mom, so you got your ass beat twice. <laughs> um, these are these are good times. And Lauren Hill actually wrote a song called "Looking Back," 
where she talks a little bit about this. I think she's from Brooklyn, if I'm correct, either Brooklyn or the Bronx. Um, and uh, she talks a little bit about her experience. It's a very, very similar feeling that I have and memories that I have of, of the, you know, New York being this just small, big neighborhood. Um, my cousin actually knew um, one of the roadies for Murphy's Law who actually knew the Beastie Boys. And he was in the video Fight for Your Right to Party. Oh, um, oh cool. Awesome. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, he was from Astoria. <laughs> and um, so my cousin had played basketball with um, uh, Ad Rock when they were younger. And uh, so he, at the time, was who I got a lot of my music from when I was um, much younger. And um, I remember we're listening to Murphy's Law, and he's like, oh, yeah, you got to listen to this band. And it was uh, one of the songs off the EP before their full-length album, or the 12-inch, whatever it was. And um, I was like, yeah, I wasn't really that into it. I pretended like I was because he was my older cousin, and he was super cool. And then... um, I was I snuck into a show, so now it's a couple years later, and I snuck into a show in New York City as we all did very young. I think people would pass out to know there were twelve year olds at these like punk rock shows, but <laughs> it was totally normal. We all did it. Oh yeah, you know, like carding wasn't even a thing yet, really. Well, the Beastie Nobody Boys said did. that's kind of how they got the start of their interest in music. It was sneaking Absolutely. into those shows. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I went to a Kiss show when I was like nine or something stupid. My cousin, same cousin, dragged me to it. Um, oh, which is what the you truth did then. is out. Closet uh, Kiss fans. I and talked she was about a kid. this. I know, but I talked about it on the Kiss show. Didn't we do it? We talked about this. Anyway, um, so I. For the record, was, we've never done a Kiss show. Oh, whatever. We talked about Gene Simmons. Whatever. But we it did was. talk about what a douchebag douche. Gene Simmons is. I don't want to do a Kiss show. <laughs> yeah. No. Anyway, gross. Anyway, um, so uh, so the BC Boys to me reminds me of me forming music tastes and music opinions. It reminds me of being a New Yorker. It makes me feel home when I hear them. It, I feel like, and this is probably completely inaccurate, but it just is what it is. And everybody has their own hometown favorites. I feel like New Yorkers understand them better and understood them better at the time. Again, I'm sure it's totally false, but just how I feel. Um, so this is a really kind of emotional pick for me, the Beastie Boys. And I'm, I've am i always been a huge, huge fan of theirs um, through all of their changes. So, yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just letting that sink in. If, yeah. If you if you ever if anybody who's not from New York or is not a New Yorker or is not familiar with the city ever gets a chance to see a concert in New York City, I would definitely recommend it putting it on your bucket list because there's nothing like it. Um, you know, specifically Madison Square Garden. But you should Garden. specify. Yeah. Should, well, I don't think see Matt, I don't know. Like I feel like things have changed so much. I would say go see underground music or smaller bands. Well, yeah, if, if you're talking like a small venue, like a Terminal Five or, um, you know, what's a Hammerstein Ballroom or something like that. Absolutely small venues like that. But, um, you know, see a concert at Madison Square Garden. It's the history is there. It's oh, God, in yeah. Midtown Manhattan, which is very different from, you know, 
Brooklyn, Queens, very yeah, different. The boroughs of Manhattan very, are different. very different. Yes. Yes. I mean and people totally people in those boroughs call Manhattan the city, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's what we would say. Uh, oh, are you going to the city? You're going to the city. And it's like, yeah. wait, aren't we in the city? No, yeah. we're not. No, you're not Ed, in the city. Ed, we're have not you, in the city. Yeah. Have you been to New York, Ed? No. To New York City? I never have either. Oh, wow. oh we need to wow. do a trip. I've we been a field trip. I've been all over the country, North America, Central America. I've never been to New York. Wow. Yes. It is. I think we just a very we unique just place. Have to. We just I, broke ground here, and we have to do something. Yeah. I think we have to do something about this. You need to see Gotham City in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I think. I think the farthest east. Or Metropolis. I think Batman Cleveland was also filmed in Chicago. Is... <laughs> Doesn't matter. New York is Gotham City. We all know this. Actually, uh, the most recent Batman was uh, filmed in East Lansing, oh. Michigan. Anyway, we all know Gotham City is New York City. I don't know about that. (laughs) Really? You want to do this right now? Come on. It's not what we're here for. Let's discuss our boys. Probably all the other Gothams that were filmed, uh, Batman's prior, were on a sound lot in LA, too. It's probably never been filmed in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow. Anywho. One thing I was... I, it always, I always think about when I hear the the song "Sabotage." This kind of harkens back to the discussion we had about movies. The J.J. Abrams um, remake of Star Trek, the opening sequence. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. Sabotage <laughs> in there. That was yeah. awesome. It's it's that it's that initial like doom. That's that slide. The slide on the guitar that just. It just yep. it makes you want to just it, it's one of those songs that it's such an awesome song to drive to but such a dangerous <laughs> to to. song to drive oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. drive you, so fast you yeah yeah you, yeah, yeah. for whatever it is yeah. about that song it 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 triggers something in your brain that makes you forget that your car has a speedometer <laughs> isn't that like kind of the whole point of the did song did you guys sorry yeah i think yeah, so right? yes. yeah did you guys sabotage watch, your driving record? Go back and watch videos. Like I don't know if you know their thing. Not videos. Interviews. Their yeah. thing with interviews. How they feel. Well, there was a long time where they had said we'll never give a serious interview. Of course, that changed, of course. But um, one of my favorites of all time and is on YouTube um, is their interview they did with Joan Rivers very early on, and um, they're so they're so funny. They were such comedians, and they were just very, like, did not take themselves seriously. um, No. Ever, really. And it was funny to see the people interviewing them who got it, who got their shtick, who got what they were doing, that they weren't really being disrespectful little shits, because there were several times where I felt that's what was happening. But I, in particular, Joan Rivers, I loved the dynamic between them and Joan Rivers. It was absolutely hilarious. It was so good. I loved watching their interviews. They were so funny. Um, I highly suggest checking those out. Um, cause they stayed in character and that's what was so fun about them. And they were fun. That's the thing about the BC boys. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't, you know, serious. It wasn't depressing. They were just fun music. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's, that was something that was really interesting. Uh, you know, in, in, in kind of researching for this episode is that that was like always their shtick and it was so much fun to watch those older interviews. But now when you see, uh, Mike and Adam uh, talking 
when they do interviews now, they, I watched one interview. I watched a couple different, one interview where, where it was, uh, where it was, um, Mike alone and it was very serious and he was talking about a project that he was working on in Australia and blah 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 and it was not shtick at all and then I watched another interview around the same time period that was uh, Mike and Adam together and and it was funny because they were serious but then occasionally they would just dip right back into this shtick and it got really funny and lighthearted, and then they would talk you know and, and it and it's it's almost like uh they they lost that character that you know the characters that they were when they decided to you know a- after after MCA passed away and they kind of hung up the boots so to speak it's like part of them still wanted to be in character but they couldn't do it anymore it was, it was really it, interesting to see the yeah. difference, to see the difference yeah. in interviews. It was really yeah. strange. But also what was interesting is their personal, if you, I, I didn't get into them personally, but <clears throat> MCA became a Buddhist and that was very, mm-hmm. it changed his entire life. It also changed the lives of, of Ad Rock and Mike D as well. And, um, you know, kind of what they were um donating to what they would do as a band for charitable causes things they believed in um and i and i think it it was interesting if you've seen some of the times during when they were still in their shtick where they chose to break from character and speak out very seriously about causes i felt like it was even more profound Absolutely. Because you didn't ever hear them speak that way. Mm-hmm. And I think people took it very seriously because it was like, oh, whoa. I, I mean, these guys are like the silly goofballs, you know, and now they're speaking very seriously about this issue. Um, and, and I really respected respected that a lot. And mm-hmm. also continuing kind of the discussion that we started last week, these guys also were artists in so many different realms you know, they're writers, they're producers, they're musicians, they're lyricists, they're visual artists. Um, they had a very heavy hand in all of their videos. Um, they, they had an idea. It was a very clear idea. Anyone who ever did their videos for them said, like, they knew what they wanted. I We just had to make it come to fruition. But they were very clear about what they wanted every time. Um, and that includes intergalactic and sabotage and, you know, all their famous videos. So um, that that's definitely, you know, a, a marker of a, of a lasting artist, especially one that doesn't age, one where the music still stands the test of time, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I found interesting, and this is slightly uh, very lighthearted, um, but the fact that... Uh, MCA's last name started with a Y that he could have just been YMCA. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, Jesus. Uh. <laughs> okay. I, I find <laughs> strange so details guys, like that interesting. Did, Sorry. Did you guys know that, that Carrie King from Slayer played on um, No Sleep Till Brooklyn? Yes, I just found that out today. That yeah. blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And they didn't really like each other, <laughs> the band and Carrie King. Really, they didn't get each other really at all. No, <clears throat> but um, they did. But, but they did like. I mean, they liked metal and thrash yeah, music. They just, oh, they yeah, they came around. Being, being I, a hardcore punk I, band, I figured yeah. they like 
that no, as people, I don't. Thrash. For some reason, they've both yeah. kind of said they. Yeah, I know there was other, but... in the fight for your right video. There was a dude with a Slayer T-shirt, and in there I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, but the song title, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, is actually a spoof on a Motorhead song. Anybody know? Really? Oh, interesting. No Sleep Till Hammersmith? Ah. Uh, hmm. They were Motorhead fans. I, Motorhead I fans. did not know that. Neither did no. I. Man, you know what? I yeah. learn something every time we do this. <laughs> 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 and, you know, Cookie Puss. Do you guys know the story of Cookie oh, Puss? Oh, that's so hysterical. Oh my gosh! Have you heard it? Depends on what you're talking about here. I've I listened to that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Clearly, you're not from the Northeast, where um, what the hell, Carvel? Did you guys have Carvel the cookie, ice cream, ice cream sandwiches? Yes. Yeah. we didn't well, have it here. Matt, of course, we no, did. No, we don't have it. Yeah. Well, Carvel was like a Dunkin'. Let's say it was like a Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, like mm-hmm. everybody knew Carvel on the Eastern. Yeah, team, but they also like, call they also call soda pop. Also, so yeah, <laughs> no, so that's true. Soda is what it <laughs> yeah. is. Pop is what it does. Okay, that's, so that's the difference. The okay, so Carvel ice cream had a cake called the Cookie Puss. And it was, you could never get away. It was the 70s. And, and it, it was terribly named. You could, was, <laughs> well, at the time, puss made what meant face. So, you know, um, so it's like, look it up, Google it. It has like an sure ice cream cone nose and whatever. I had one for my birthday party once. I bet you did. I had a cookie puss ice cream cake. It just sounds um, like a bad nickname for like a female drug dealer in the 80s. <laughs> hey, yeah, cookie puss. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> Give me a gram, cookie puss. Give me a gram, cookie puss. It's not, cookie it sounds, puss. Beat it your sounds, ass. You know what? It kind of. It almost sounds like, uh, <laughs> like a, a like a super empowered female pimp. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, yes, yes. Just, wait, that's like a conundrum. That's even call like that a madam with like six yeah. inch platforms. I, yeah, that's that's more of a madame. Yeah. No, that's, no, 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 no. Not a madam. I like a legit. Like female pimp with all the fur jackets, like I mean, the exact stereotype of what like a seventies male pimp would be, but yeah. a female version. A la New York in the seventies, maybe. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> oh boy! Wow. Uh, okay, so License to Ill had an alternative title. And this they have apologized for profusely since then. But, um, you know, I read a few articles about it and they were kids. People grow up. You realize, like, you know, it was supposed to be called um, Don't Be a Fag, but (laughs) Don't Be a Faggot. (laughs) And Columbia was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't name it that. Even in 1986, they're like, no, I can't do that. Yeah. Which I'm surprised, (laughs) to be honest. Um, Yeah. But they, you know, and having like the girl, like half naked girls dancing in cages, they later were like, oh, yeah, we were done. We grew up, whatever. It was all supposed to be. Can I say one thing real quick about that album is like when we talk and we've talked on the show, no matter who we're talking about, about debut albums and we've talked about Appetite for Destruction, greatest debut album of all time, you know, numbers wise, Van Halen one, Zeppelin one. I feel like this album is never in the same conversation as far as great landmark debut albums goes. Well, because maybe I think, it's because it's I think not that's the same genre. It's in the well, because yeah, yeah, but, it's that's but still because, though, yeah, because yeah. even though I mean, if you listen to this album, it should be. It, it should, yeah, it, it, this 
this album could go, especially nowadays when, you know, we're, I mean, we're probably like, I mean, the Beastie Boys were revolutionary in the fact that they had rock music with rap lyrics, you know, 20 years before it became normal. But uh, well, not just for that. Well, yeah. They were not revolutionary just for that. 10 years. Yeah. They but, were revolutionary just for their rap and hip hop alone. Absolutely. Oh, abs- I mean, aside from that, it's like someone absolutely. said, the uh, they pissed well, no, off I, the I, record I, store clerks because they couldn't <laughs> figure out where to put the album in the store. Exactly. Right, and, yeah, I, and exactly. I think yeah. that's Matt. I think what I, what I was getting to. I mean, I'll, I'll go out and I'll say that that in my opinion, the Beastie Boys are the greatest rap group of all time. That's my opinion because of what they did musically with sampling and how they just influenced that entire genre. That's my opinion. But also, I mean, if you look at where we're at now in hindsight, where there's lots of rock groups that have rap lyricists, I mean, Rage Against the Machine, P.O.D., there's a whole bunch of different Anthrax. groups that have done this, that, that, that those groups don't fall into the rap genre. They're in the rock and right. metal genre, which is funny. And... And I think that's why, to your point, Matt, why this album, as we talk about it nowadays, gets left out because, like you said, Ed, people don't know where to put it. They don't. Yeah. They don't. And nowadays, now in that time, people knew where to put it. But now, as we're looking hindsight, and there's all these other groups, it's like, well, is this was this a, you know, it, this could it could go either way. Well, it depends on the album. To be completely frank, I mean. <clears throat> The, you know, it depends on was this a hip hop album? Was this a rap album? Was this a rock rap right. post punk album? Because each of their albums, they had such a progression in their music that I think they're they're also one of those artists that were so um, fluid through many genres. And at the time, these genres were still being created too. I mean, they're founders of American hip hop. You know, yeah. which is yeah, may sure. seem strange if you're a fan of uh, Run DMC or if you're a fan of Public Enemy. Or whatever, you know, I mean, that's might be a hard <laughs> pill to swallow, but it is what it is. I mean, I mean to it's me, it's bad. still it's still a rap album to me. Oh, for right? sure. I agree, still, totally. I mean, because yeah. there's only, I mean, the two, it just so happens the two biggest songs have. It's one of the guitars. original rap albums. Yeah, yeah riffs. Just riffs, <laughs> yeah, riffs, but whatever. Yeah, so did yeah. Run DMC. But it's a ra- Run it's DMC a rap had album, riffs, man. too. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you. I think calling it hip-hop for me sometimes... I felt like was a bit of a stretch, but that's what you called it back then. Right. I mean, that was like back of then, the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and I, I also think for me, hip hop, hip hop deserves to have its origins embedded in the culture that it came from. That's very important to hip hop. It's very important to me to honor that genre of music, you know, um, and so for me to put them in that hip hop category, I've always had kind of an issue with that. The rap <laughs> category, no problem. I don't even think they belong in the rock category, to be completely honest. I think but they're rap. Hello Nasty. Rap Hello Nasty is a straight up hip hop album. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the style to, of music that that is, it, that's hip hop. Yeah. All day. Yeah, I would say that, it's, it, yeah. it's like pop hip hop kind of it, it, right there yes, because it pop, it, it, cause pop, it trans- but that's what hip hop yes. that album in, transcended in yeah well sure but that came much yeah. later what yeah. i'm talking about is like the like they are considered like they are founders of a music genre absolutely they are um but i think there's an important 
it's important to discern for me the difference between rap and hip hop when we're talking about the beginning origin days. That to me is very important. That's all I'm saying. But they were so fluid through what they did musically that they could kind of snake through all of those genres I and was, it, it would work. I was really interested, to be honest, Sailor, coming into this, <clears throat> I, I was really interested to hear how you were going to approach this because in, with previous bands, um, there's you've kind of brought up the point where when bands have explored other styles that you've made the point that when they stray from what their original style was that maybe they should go off on a different name or what have you. And, and listening to interviews with the guys and, and a fairly recent interview with that. I listened to with, uh, with Mike D where he was talking about like, especially going from, going from, uh, license to ill to Paul's boutique. And then, you know, that, they wanted to try to do something very different every single album. And he even brought up, he's like, you know, you had these, I mean, take take his words for grain of salt because he did like Kiss, but he brought up, you had bands like Kiss and ACDC that, that they wanted to take their exact sound and they carried that exact sound all the way through their careers. And they didn't want to be that. They wanted to do something very different. They wanted to have as as different of a sound as they possibly could on every album. And they actually, like, I mean, very specifically tried to have a different sound on each album. And so I was curious to hear what your opinion would be on, on that approach, being that you've expressed feelings kind of against that with other bands. Well, I think it's because of what I just said, that they were... They were in the beginning of two different genres, rap and hip hop, mm-hmm. and they are considered founders in both. Whether I agree with it or not, that's just what they're considered in. Um, so, and then they're, you know, which there isn't really a genre for merging rock with rap and hip hop, like, you know, so let's and say they've got their. And jazz, too. And funk, and. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, but they, that's the thing for me, is that they, what, what is their sound? I don't know. It changed from the beginning all the time. And that's who they, that was their identity. And they weren't in a fully formed genre yet, you know? So by the time they made their first album to their second album, it was ever changing. And that's just who, they, that's their identity as a band. I would have thought it was weird for the, for two albums to sound alike. Or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that I would, if they had done three albums that sounded very similar and were rooted in one genre and then went off and did something completely different, I would have been like, what the fuck? Because I don't like that. You know, yep. that's just mm-hmm. me. But because yeah. they were ever changing and so fluid and they were also, they were figuring out the genres as the genres were figuring themselves out. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think, so the gen- I think the genre was figuring itself out around them. And uh, around sure. and around some of the other Absolutely. some of the other and pioneers like Run, just like DMC, with Run DMC and, is yeah, the same yeah. thing. Bad Public brains, enemy. Public Enemy. Yeah. I mean, uh, abs, absolutely. And just don't forget um, the cru- the crux and the and the foundation of where they started. They were a hardcore punk band. Yeah, right. I know. Yes. yes. It's so so funny it's not a stretch to think that they would. It's not a stretch to think that they would try to put some rock elements into some of their songs later on. Right. You know right. whether absolutely. you know even if you think that they. If, if they're a pure rap or hip-hop act, for them to have some of those elements in there, it should not come as a surprise to anybody who's followed them from the beginning. 
But well, they and kept they, and it they were changing, you know, and, and that's yeah. was their magic. That's their magic. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I think I think what I think if 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 you were going to look at uh, you know the the niches and the riches, riches and the niches moment for them is that to me what they did better than anybody else as a pioneer. Because I mean, if you look at if you look at the other, you know, groups that we talked about, you know, that we just mentioned at that time that were also part of the the, the beginnings of this movement with the run DMCs, the public enemies, etc., where I think the Beastie Boys really set themselves apart um, is with the not only playing their own instruments and essentially sampling themselves in a way, but also how they sampled and and layer sampled uh some really iconic songs of oh, the decade prior brilliant and and i mean it was just it was genius well, they're and, pioneers in that yeah they're and absolutely i think pioneers i think in that. that's where they're you know that's the point that i made that that's to me where they did that better than anybody else and and nobody has done and the it dust, and we no, should say and the dust brothers just to be fair yeah, fair enough. Brothers. Fair yeah, enough with credit, yeah with Paul's boutique. Well. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. yeah and no, you're absolutely right. And I think, but for me, I always, I don't know where it always comes back to this. Like, even though Paul's boutique was such a departure from license to ill, I remember sitting there and when sabotage the first time I ever heard it was on MTV, and I just went, mm-hmm. "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, right. And I was just like, these guys, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, how do they do this? I just remember being like, I am so fucking entertained by this song, by this video, like, the sound, and it's them, and like, holy shit. I just remember being like, what? You know, and then Intergalactic. And I'm like, again? Oh, my god! Get gosh. the fuck out of here. Oh, like, Lord. how do you do that? <laughs> how do you keep doing that? I just... <laughs> And so unique and so just creative, I think is the word. So creative and so different and so explorative. And I think there are few bands that can get away with doing that consistently mm-hmm. and regularly and be chart toppers and Grammy winners throughout their experimentation. It's like, they're just like, whatever, we're fucking around. Hopefully people like this shit. And it's amazeballs, you know? Like, I don't think there's a lot of bands out there that can get away with that shit, and they do. And I think that's what makes the beastie boys that is what is them I, was them when when i was uh early like my freshman year of high school it's like 1996 a good buddy of mine that i hung out with a lot his uh his older brother um installed uh car stereos at a, a store that used to be here in town and so we used to go hang out there and he'd teach us how to you know, install systems. That this place was one of those places that installed systems, not like, <laughs> not like an ABC warehouse or something where you go and get a deck put in. Like this place did competition style, you know, trunks and everything. And it was, and I I got really, I mean, because I've I've always loved music and I, I love audio quality and and so to kind of learn how to take a vehicle and turn it into a concert venue within your own vehicle really appealed to me and and the BC boys music always sounded amazing especially 
Brass Monkey was one of those songs that you could hit that mid frequency in a subwoofer and it just, man, you could hear it for blocks away on a good sound system. And then in 98, when I first, that's when I got my driver's license and I had owned a car for a year that I just fixed up and I did a custom system in it and everything. And when Hello Nasty came out and that album hit harder from a bass standpoint than any album the BC Boys had put out before that. And that's why that album was just blew me away. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, there was, that was kind of that, that, that album that everybody was slamming in their cars in 1998. It was so good. Well, you brought up Brass Monkey and I was like, it just reminded me of the first time I heard Brass Monkey. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> boom, it's such a boom, if, boom, boom, boom. But if you're not used to that boom, sound, boom, when boom, that boom. came out, that <laughs> moment, that year, that week, that month, there's nothing that ever sounded like that. Nope. And it took me a minute to be like, because I was at the time probably listening to Appetite for Destruction you just brought up or whatever fucking metal shit. And I, just listening to that and being like, what is this? Do I like it? I what? It took me a minute to, I don't know, understand it or fathom it or connect to it or whatever. And I just, I laughed at it. I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was ridiculous. And I was like, who are these guys? And, you know, I went to the record store and I asked, which is what you would do back then. And I asked somebody, you know, the person at the counter, what is this Brass Monkey song? Oh, that's the BC <laughs> Boys. This is their album. And I just remember being like, I'm just going to get it, you know, because I know these guys. Like, I didn't even realize it was them, you know, and just being like, this sound is just so unusual, but I like it, and Mm -hmm. I can't put my finger on why I like it. It's a catchy tune. It's a freaking catchy tune. It is. Going back to what you said, Jake, about Hello Nasty, though, and being there when that album came out, um, I will say that, although I don't necessarily say it's their best album i will say it's their most important album because of the time it was released i might agree now, with you talk that. you're talking 1998 um so in the spectrum of all that is music not just talking rock and metal but the music world in general what is huge in 1998 you have bullshit <laughs> like ricky martin you have boy bands that are becoming huge Never thought I would mention them on this show. But uh, this could have been a just as easily a sink for them as it is a swim for them. And they came out, and Intergalactic was the first single, and it was a home run over and over and over again. And they brought a whole new score of fans in that might not have been around, you know, when Fight for Your Right was, you know all over the airwaves, all over MTV. Uh, and I think that that Hello Nasty is their by far their most important album for that reason, because it transcended to a new um, generation of ears, a new generation of listeners. And MTV was still big then, albeit different. They weren't playing as many music videos, but in a different format, you had the TRLs and the requests, you know, all that bullshit that was going on in the late 90s. Uh, but it was still making those rounds at a different time with different listeners, a different place. A different different conversation for a different day maybe, but what's interesting about, because you bring up the timing 
of when that album comes out. And I wonder if that album almost sets the stage for what album came out right after it, which was uh, Eminem's. Eminem's. It wasn't Eminem's first album technically but it was, but it his, was his first mass release album yeah. 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 and yeah. and that album like just i mean it blew up i mean it, it was yeah. it was it was almost like because that was 99 right yeah. or 2000 yeah. yeah it was 99. right it was 99 yeah. it was 99. right after yeah because it was uh, yeah i mean it, they came like bam bam and and it was it was like it was it was like hello nasty set the stage for like a whole new generation of absolutely of of like rap hip hop fans but 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 of that kind of style too there would have been oh, yeah. no but then they were playing without were, the Beastie I mean, Boys. I mean they were playing intergalactic on that on those pop radio stations with that yes. other stuff oh, which is yeah. crazy yeah yeah to think about but it's true and that's how you know they like i said sink or swim and they swim Yes. Above and yeah. beyond that, yeah. And then, I mean, who I don't really care for, but Linkin Park comes right along after right. that. Yeah. 2001. Really, yeah. mm-hmm. I, not a fan of theirs, mm. but whatever. They they deserve a space and a time very connected to that. Um, you know, I mean, they were, you know, they're, they're trendsetters, of course. I mean, you know, that, that happens when you're groundbreaking and when you are founders, you know, of a genre. Um, and they also... One of the things about them, too, is they were very smart with who they worked with. Mm-hmm. I think they were yeah. great seekers of talent. They were not it's only talented point. themselves, but they were great seekers of talent. I mean, working with the Dust Brothers was genius. Um, and then they also worked with um, Matt Dyke, who doesn't get a lot of... Um, he doesn't get the uh, respect that he should have gotten. They've tried to fix that since, but um, he was considered the unsung hero behind the vision of uh, Paul's Boutique. Um, all the tracks were recorded in his apartment. He's a DJ, and it was really his sampling techniques that they used. And that's what they would, I mean, so that sampling technique, the defining of that really comes from him. Um, they were just, I think, really amazing curators of the right people to work with at the right time and knowing what things they wanted things to sound like. And um, that, that's rare for the artists themselves to be able to do that. So that's another thing I think that sets them apart as well. Yeah. The one, one of the interviews that I watched was, uh, was, um, uh, was Mike D and Ed rock. And, and it was, um, it was an interview they did with beats one from Apple. <clears throat> and, uh, and it was, it, it was on the anniversary of, Paul's boutique and also fell on the birthday of of uh, of MCA too. You know, recent at the time of the interview, he had recently passed, and they did actually. You know, they gave like a lot of credit and talked about how it was a combination. It wasn't. You know, for one, they kind of like the Dust Brothers were like, "Let's do this," and they're kind of like, "Oh, okay, sure, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's have fun." Let's just do it. I mean, they they, the they put a lot like of trust. They put a lot things. of trust in, into yeah. those guys. And that's why I'm saying like that that instinct to know. Um, and you guys brought up Hello Nasty. Do you know where that came from? 
Did you hear the story about how that came? No. That name came to be. Let's hear it. Do tell. <laughs> so do they tell. Own, <laughs> they own their own publicity company, and it was called Nasty Little Man. And their, <laughs> <laughs> their their receptionist would pick up the phone and say, "Hello, Nasty." <laughs> oh, she oh, would wow. say, "Hello, Nasty I Little never Man heard Productions." That story. That's cool. Or yeah, or Nasty Little Man Company. She would just go, "Hello, Nasty." <laughs> That's, That's funny. <laughs> I love that story. It's a great story. <laughs> so I think we should, I think we should go around the table maybe and say maybe what our favorite favorite album is. Mm. Oh, maybe Ooh. favorite song, favorite album, favorite album. We should favorite album. Yeah, okay, I can do it. All right. Okay. Well, why don't you go first, Matt? Okay, I will. <laughs> Since it was my idea, <laughs> uh, you should. It's licensed to ill. By far, um, I recognize each album uh, for how important it is and how great they are. Uh, and you know, speaking of Paul's Boutique before, how it, it was a groundbreaking album. It was very technically advanced for them, and it, it kind of showed the height of how great they were as musicians. But uh, you know, for me, it's that first album, and there are just way too many hits on that album for me to overlook it. So I have to. Go to license to ill. What do you think, Ed? I'm gonna have to be go with Matt. License to ill all the way. I mean, that's the was my introduction to the Beastie Boys when um, "Fight for Your Right" was the first big single off that album, and um, I've gone through, listened to some of the other albums, and some of my favorite. Beastie Boys songs are off of other albums, but I mean, the collection of songs you have on License to Ill, I mean, it's it just, just incredible what's packed into there. No Sleep Till Brooklyn, Paul Revere, Brass Monkey, Slow and <laughs> Low, crazy. I mean, Rhyming and Stealing, She's Crafty. I mean, I, I could Every just go down the list song. of the whole Every album. single it's song. There's not amazing. one dud. There's no skippers. No. There's no skippers. No. 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 So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Matt. I'm going to go Licensed Ill as well. Sailor, do you want to bat clean up or do you want to go? I'll go. So, for me, it's a... Oh, God. It's, it's I know. brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> For me, it's licensed to ill versus ill communication. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, ill communication has. We haven't sabotage. really talked. About, we haven't really talked a lot about ill communication. Yeah. Well, we did Other a than bit. sabotage. Sure yeah, shot. Sabotage, sure shot. Yeah. Get it together. Sure shot. shot root down. One. I love. I think too because when ill communication came out, I fell in love with them all over again. I became a new. I became a fan again. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I had, not that I stopped not listening sure. to them, but I wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I, I I loved Paul's Boutique, and I don't know. I I I felt like it was like a oh I'm in love with you again type of thing, um, you know. And Bismarcky, weird thing. I'm I love Bismarcky. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always loved Bismarcky, and That's he's on awesome. communication. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I just love him, but. Uh, if I have to choose, if I don't have a choice, if I can't have both of these albums, I have to go with License to Ill. And I have to go with License to Ill because I don't think there is one song on this album that's a dud. It was so groundbreaking at the time. 
being a kid and hearing this on the radio mm-hmm. and seeing the videos on MTV that, you know, this was actually like popular was mind blowing because shit like this was not popular. Oh, yeah. And even as it was not pop, even as all. all of us as older adults now will say, we'll look at the lyrics and say, hey, this kind of sounds juvenile. It kind of sounds <laughs> like a youth anthem. But to Jake's point earlier, the shit holds up. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it doesn't. You know, all those inhibitions go out the window if you're in the car listening to this and you you just find yourself, you know, totally immersed in the entire album. Yeah, it's it's one of the few I will say this. It's it's one of the few albums where it comes on and it's like you if you're sitting next to me in the car, you need to shut the fuck up because (laughs) I'm going to sing every single Single word word. monkey right now i Mm. still for some reason i can't tell you what i had for breakfast two days ago i can't tell you probably what a cirrus cloud is anymore (laughs) any of the shit that's really important in life that i learned in school Um, as soon as you hear that yeah yeah, you're ready to go you're ready (laughs) yeah i mean i know it instantly it's it's i can sing probably that's like track 12 on the album too (laughs) yeah yeah i know know what song's gonna come next same thing like because that's how you would listen to it i will go through every song and it's like don't fucking talk to me i'm in my zone i'm listening to this entire album and i have to listen to the whole thing um, there are a few albums that will still get me like that. And, and this is one of them. So license to. <clears throat> so, so as it, it as it often comes down with me is that it's, <laughs> it's, it, 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 where I get torn is there's two albums that are equal in the way that I appreciate. Them. I know one A and one B, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but 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 Similar then I have to ask committee. the the tie saw no tie sauce the tiebreaker. Tie you said oh. you said hot sauce committee right when I was saying it. Like the tie the tiebreaker for me is 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 which is there one of the albums that the story of Beastie Boys if you if you had to tell the story of Beastie Boys in one album, what would it be? And the two albums that are my two favorite, which are equal and favorite, are License to Ill and Hello Nasty. But the story of the Beastie Boys cannot be told without License to Ill. It just can't. I mean, mm-hmm. the story of hip hop, the story of rap. I mean, that it just you can't tell that story yeah, without era, this album. Time. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. you take that keystone out and the building crumbles. And so, yeah, I mean. Again, and it, it, what I always loved about this album is how every song leads into the next. <clears throat> so, you know, we were just talking about Fight for Your Right, and it's that it's that end of Girls, 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 or Girls, sorry. Yeah, that's not, Mo- of, not Molly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's the end of Girls. In the bathroom. <laughs> where it just goes right girls, from girls. that last chord of girls and then it's dun, dun, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it yep, just jumps yeah. right into the yep. and so when you hear when you hear Kick a single it. yeah when you exactly. hear the single on the radio so good. you immediately are like oh that's a song right after this one and right before this yep. one and you, yeah. you just yep. you know that's what it is that's and, how you build an album man yeah yeah oh yeah. man i mean i think i was vacuuming the other day and i like clinked up against a whiskey bottle 
And, and my immediately I was like, I drink brass monkey. I rock well. I got a castle in Brooklyn. That's where I dwell. Brass monkey. <laughs> and I just go went there instantly. Wow. And it happens often with, <laughs> with songs. Takes big comments. That's <laughs> But I will say that when Sabotage came out, because it's my second favorite album. I did have a group of friends, and we reenacted the entire sabotage video. Oh my gosh! With I had the full mustache, beard, chops, like we did the whole thing, and we did it. I think we were in the Bronx when we did it. I'm pretty sure. All right, so did you do the explosion? Is it so? Would you say (laughs) that your favorite single, your favorite single song by the Beastie Boys, might not be Mm. on License to Ill? No, Ooh. I couldn't say that. Couldn't say that. Although we've oh. all mentioned Sabotage, you could not say I that. I know, but... Oh, sabotage yeah. is not my favorite song. It's right. definitely one of my favorite BC songs. I couldn't say... Ugh. No. I think for me... I think I would be... <clears throat> That's a my tough one. My four... God. That, that, okay, my, I could I could pick my you. five. I could pick my five favorites. All right, pick your five. <laughs> and in no particular order, Fight for Your Right, Brass Monkey, um, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, Body Moving. Hmm. Is that four or five? That's four. <laughs> and Brouhaha. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I can't I'll, do it. All right, I'll say I can, I, can, I think I can do it. So I guess three three out of my five were on license to ill. So I guess that says something. Yeah, Jake, if you were to ask me my top yeah. five, I'd have to approach it like you you uh, approached your top twelve to Led Zeppelin. You oh can't boy. you can't pick five. <laughs> I can't pick five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that was kind of on the fly, like just thinking. Well, you know, my those are probably my five favorite songs to listen to. You know, without getting in depth of, oh, you know, are these how important are these songs to the legacy of music? Blah blah blah. Just right off the top of my head, what are my five favorite Beastie Boys songs to listen to? Yeah, I mean, I can't I, do it. I would. I mean, just off the top of my head, five. There's no um, wrong answer. There's I mean, no wrong answer, but there's no, no wrong answer. Is, these guys have a yeah. This is no particular music. That's incredible. This is no particular order, but I would say. No sleep till Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I would say Paul Revere. Yeah, Ooh. great one. Um, so good. I would say Intergalactic. Story. Mm-hmm. Intergalactic. Yeah, us. I would say Hold Now, Hit It, and Ooh, wow. And I would Went say an open letter one. to New York City. Oh, to throw a curveball in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you always go deep on your list, Matt. Just because that's, of that, I would expect nothing else. That's a, they, that's they poured a, their heart into that song, oh man. God, that yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah that's totally. a, that's a tough song. That's hmm. a, that, I mean, it's not a tough song, but it's it's a personable song that I can you know understand. It's very very well done. Was that on Five Burrows? Five Burrows, yeah. I thought so. Yeah, I think that's an underrated album, in my opinion. It's very underrated. I, I yeah. absolutely oh, yeah. love that album. But it did well. Yeah. Sales did really well. So, but it only had what like one. I mean, I guess like, Brouhaha had kind of underground success, but it only had really like one single. Well, right? check it out and uh, check it out. Triple Trouble, I think, was on the album. Was that a single though? I think so. And uh, Right, Right, so Now, check Now. Check it out. Yeah, was, was another single. single. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. 
Although I don't agree with the sentiment of the song, it was popular song on that album. Hmm. It read. I mean, the Five Boroughs reached number one on the Billboard. Charts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I. But I mean. I mean, how totally. much? How much of that was flowing off of the success of Hello Nasty too? I mean, because a lot of times that happens it, because it, you know that that album. But you're talking a large sales. So you're a talking, lot of times the that's a long gap between albums. That's six years. Yeah, that's a bit albums. of a that's yeah. a big chunk of time in between. But what yeah. did we talk about before that? Hello Nasty set the stage for a whole new, you know, boom of of hip hop. So. If they set the stage for Eminem's, you know, big, huge debut album, I think a lot of people were thinking, man, I got to go get that next Beastie Boys. It's almost like if they go six years yeah, to bring it back to to, to drinking, because this oh. this how well, this happens a lot. They're going to say Metallica. In, well, it happens a lot. In, it happens a lot in whiskey and like barrel aged beers where companies will go a long period of time between special releases and the longer they go the more people are get reminiscent about the last release and you're like man i I gotta get this one but then a lot of times that next release is never as good as the one that people still don't remember from before Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the danger of waiting too long yeah well i was gonna say unless you're unless you're metallica or Maybe Michael Jackson. You can't go that long between albums without there being some fall off. But yeah, I agree. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you have, just live it, off the last, last album. Off I, the think last if, album yeah. I think you, I think stretch. if you're a band in that echelon where you have that name recognition, where if 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 you are one of you know a handful of artists or bands at the top of your genre, which I've you know Beastie Boys certainly are, were. I, I think you can you can go that long and people are still going to pick up your album. But at 2004, I think wasn't that album released 2004? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, are they an afterthought by then with everything that's going I think on? So. Yeah, I think so. I, no, I, I think I think that was the last relevant album they put out. I think everything well, beyond that to me was afterthought. I still. Not, think I'm not talking about were... the diehard fans. I'm talking about just no. in general. Agreed. Yeah. And I no, don't I'm think talking about with... in general. Without it being a strong album, it would not have deb- debuted at number one. Well, because like, check, fucking check, check it out at number was a, one was a really popular song. Totally. And so and I think video still. I think yeah. I think that maybe that uh, again coming off the success of Hello Nasty with Intergalactic. With, I mean that music video was on MTV and VH1. Well, they're still day. playing both yeah. Sabotage and Intergalactic <laughs> on regular rotation and Fight for Your Right to Party, to be oh, honest, sure, yeah. still being, uh, yeah. till the end of time on MTV. I was reading an so article then, about that. So like, then, it had been like in the forever rotation. You know, Check Check It Out comes out, they drop that single, and everybody's thinking this this is, you know, the next Hello Nasty. And not that it wasn't a great album, because it was, it just it wasn't to that level. There was also Triple Trouble. But timing. I mean, there was a lot of great there's a lot of great songs on that album. I don't think that I don't, I don't think that I would album's stand an afterthought to argue saying I don't think hit, it's an afterthought. When you at all. debut number 1 on the Billboard 200, yeah, and how sell can you be an thir- afterthought? 360,000 <laughs> copies in the first week and it's certified platinum. I mean, you're still doing all right and I think it's I don't think it's cuz it's the band I think it's at this point you're still buying physical CDs yeah, too Yeah, oh for sure. I think it's 
it's it. This is because the album was that good, yeah. in my opinion. No, I, I I completely agree, and I don't I don't think it's I mean an you have check check it out, triple trouble, an open letter to New York City, and right right now now. And you, I mean, as, as you've said before, Sailor too, when you use an example of like between 1978 and 83, there was not a lot of change in correct. things. But I would say between 98 and 2004, even though people were two still buying worlds. CDs, still two different two worlds. Different worlds. Yeah. Two yeah. different universes I th- completely. Yeah. I think Brouhaha yeah. was probably their last album released in the old world. Because it was right after that, it was right about that time and kind of when Kaza and Napster and all that stuff was starting to really hit. Like this was, Brouhaha was probably one of those last, I mean, it was definitely their last album that was released in the Go Buy a CD era. But they were already, though... They were already embracing the digital media world, yeah, yeah, yeah. so for sure. I don't think it for affected sure, but I think, them I think as when much you look at, at that, when it, where it really took off was probably right in that 2004-2005 range. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely their last big hurrah. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> I think. I so think we're. Can- I think we're all. Agreeing while still trying to argue. (laughs) Wait, what are your five songs, Jake? I already told you. I started. You did? Oh, yeah, that's right. You're the only one. You have to go. You're the only one that didn't do it. Fuck. I don't know if I can do it. I mean, (sighs) try. It was tough for me, but I I think I. This is is not not a permanent permanent five songs. Because tomorrow you could ask me to list them, and I might list. Three of the songs different. Exactly. Yeah. All, right. All right. I have to say, Root Down. Great song. Um, mm-hmm. Girls. Oh. Hold It Now, Hit It. Yep. Okay. Sure Shot. Yep. Hey, Ladies. Pass the Mic. So What You Want. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's eight. Mm. Brass Monkey. <laughs> Sabotage. She's, Intergalactic. She's Led Zeppelin. She's, she's Led Zeppelin right. it. She's le- she just Led Zeppelin it. Yep. It's the best, yeah. best I can do. <laughs> so she got it down no, to 11. Fine. I understand that. Hey. It's yeah. the best I can do. No, that's that's a great list of songs. That's a great playlist right there. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. That's the thing when we get into, you know, uh, an open discussion about, uh, you know, a band like this where, I mean you're you can put on any album and love it and it's you just can't go wrong you can't go wrong grabbing any one of these albums and and listening to it Mm -hmm. i mean this is another one of those bands where you can go to you can go to spotify and just hit shuffle oh yeah and you're gonna and you're gonna have a great time it's a great shuffle band you know i'll tell you something in doing research for this it's really made me nostalgic and miss MTV so oh, much. Oh, right? But mm-hmm. what MTV was back then, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the 80s, yeah. breaking, yeah. like finding out about music like on late MTV. late 80s, early 90s, yeah. yes, MTV like that's was how so I found good. out about music. And videos were so good. They were so entertaining. They were so creative. And the MTV News at the time, oh, oh my yeah. God, like and MTV what, yeah. News was, they... They were an award-winning news program towards the end. I mean, they were unbelievable. I mean, I recognize it was a different world, and and you. Didn't but when have they said that hour. they were going to have a world premiere music video at this oh, time yeah. on this my day, yep. and you oh had the you change your whole home, life. You'll see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You scheduled and you your were life waiting, around that and moment. You were waiting. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and- I scheduled my life around the debut of MTV. I remember 
someone told me about it and I didn't really understand what it was going to be because I was very little and I, I you would turn on the channel and it was the you know ant races the fuzz but the, and then one day there was the moon man and I think I think it was like two days before or something like that it was either two days or one day before the actual that that and we were like and we just sat there and stared at it probably for like an hour like I don't know the fuck we were looking at but we just stared at it and the minute that it came on I remember I remember the first video I remember the first news broadcast when they were explaining what this video killed the radio star Yes, that's right. So yep, I, I can yep. only speak from from you know my own time frame, but to me, uh, it felt like for me like eighty eight to ninety two was just like apex MTV. It seemed like there were so many great videos that came out in that late eighties, right oh, into yeah. the nineties, and I mean not that there weren't great videos after. I just feel like there was such a a focus on making a, a great artistic music video. I mean, even like I can still to this day, I can picture take on me by aha, like that music oh, video. Yeah, that was I, I like, I remember that, like, yeah. like I'm seeing it for the first time in my head. I still remember yeah, that yeah. video. Uh, November rain yep. was one of those. Um, I think we just got mm-hmm. a an idea for a future episode. Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer, maybe greatest oh, music video. Oh my god, Sledgehammer was incredible. Faith Sledgehammer no was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sledgehammer Faith was no more. awesome. Faith yeah, no Sledgehammer more. Was epic. Was, oh yeah, Faith No More was incredible. Yeah, was there were a, a there were a one. lot. Yeah, that you said November rain, amazing. Thriller, obviously Thriller. Oh please, early on. You can't hear the song without playing the video in your head or beat it. Movie theater. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think we we should probably cut the discussion here, yeah. and because we're delving <laughs> getting into off, yeah. MTV getting off track. Now. But that, yeah, that I would think, be a fun episode to do. I think like we should a do it. Platform yeah. and just MTV. talk about the history of it because you guys realize that it launched on 1981. That's like, crazy. 1981, <laughs> people still had eight track tapes, guys. Yep. Like fucking eight track. The cassette was pretty new at the time, and you know you have music television. Unbelievable. So I definitely think we should do a show about that. So, has anyone got anything that they would like to talk about? Any new podcast shows or anything they've been listening to or watching lately they'd like to talk about? I just I just started a new book, but uh, audio book, but I'm I'm not ready to talk about it yet cuz I'm I'm not far enough into it to where I could truly give an evaluation of it. So, Talk to me next week. All right. I've actually got something this week. <laughs> Let's hear it. I got, there's a show on Amazon called Lore. And it's no. about like all these old. Um, I brought that up thing. months ago. Lore? Yeah. Yes. Like the, talking about like the I consumption and what was, and how people would die and they weren't really dead and, you know, yes. putting the you old know, mechanisms you know what the in funniest the, the funniest part about Confidence. doing this this segment of the show at the end of the show is that we have a tendency not to remember it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I I try to I, I seriously Ed I, I I really think hard before the show. I'm, I'm like, have I ever mentioned them before? <laughs> but I seriously, more times than not, I cannot remember what podcasts I've actually talked about. <laughs> I have something that I will be watching, but I have not watched oh, it yet. Let's hear it. What's that? 
So I have been informed about this show called The Man in the High Castle. Oh, yeah. Oh, the alternative. Oh, yeah. Uh, heard good things. for a long time. Yeah. Heard good things. Yeah. Yep. So I'm huge on history, and obviously that's, you know, anyone knows that show ties into that, and alternative history, obviously. Uh, so I'll, I will be watching that very soon, and I will report back. All right. Yep. Well, I actually, uh, I did actually think of something that... Uh, um, so in a previous episode, I talked about how my wife and I were watching the Americans, which we did finish, yes. and it was awesome. It was well, awesome. You, you finished the whole six the seasons, entire everything. Yep. <sighs> how great, great is that last episode? Well, you know, it was pretty darn good. Yeah, I, it leaves you. It leaves you. Uh, you know, a nice little opening to maybe kind of think about what happened to him after the fact, which I, I do yeah. love that. Um, but now we are, I'm still continuing. I've, I've always, I've been doing Westworld since it started, but now we're doing billions from the beginning, oh, which so far it's, we're in season one still. I think we're on episode like six of season one. It's a great show. I mean, Paul Giamatti is fantastic in it. There's, it's a great cast. It's, I mean, oh, the writing, the acting, Adams. everything is, yeah, everything. That? Oh, God, that wasn't that great. John Adams, yeah. John Adams yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Or Cinderella <laughs> Man, if you've ever seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Russell Crowe, yeah. Also good in that. So we're talking about shows. I just finished Glow, which the second season was even better than the first season. I freaking love that show. I loved Glow when I was a kid. I got banned from watching it at some point because my stepdad, he was the one who said if you painted your nails, you were prostitutes or whatever. He's such a weirdo. It's a pretty hoary, not... pretty hoary thing to do, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, <laughs> your... I mean, there was all kinds of stupid shit. Next thing shit you know, you're going to be wanting ideas. to pierce your ears. Oh, my, know, God. my God. Scandalous. Um, <laughs> he did not want me to, my sister and I would watch Glow and we loved it. We were no, obsessed with it. No, your ankles are showing. And it was, it was a really great, at the time, I, it was a great show to empower women, I thought, as a young girl. Because these women were like, they were wrestlers. It was freaking awesome. So, oh, it's such a great depiction of the history of actual glow, which was gorgeous ladies of wrestling, if you don't know from the 80s. <laughs> Watch it. It's on Netflix. It rules. Cool. That's it. All right. Very cool. cool. Both oh, yeah. everyone said their piece. I just want to give a huge thanks to all of our listeners out there for joining us for this episode. This was a fun one. And please tune in next week where we will be back with another episode. Matt, what do you got for us? And to all of our listeners, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes. Please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. And I will say, we have a lot of real hardcore um, whiskey followers. We have a lot of hardcore rock and metal followers. Sound off, man. Sound off in the Facebook group. Sound off on Instagram. Uh, We care about your opinions. We care about your comments. Uh, We know you have passion. If there's something you want to hear on the show, tell us. Okay. Uh, if there's something you didn't like about the show, tell us. Don't tell if, us. No, no, tell us. No, we if, need if, to know. If there was we an opinion, if there was an opinion expressed on the show that you really <laughs> felt 
that really just scathe you the wrong way, tell us, please. We love the debate. We love we love the conversation. You know, at the at the end of the day, the show is about you. The show is about you guys. It's about the listeners, and we want to be interactive. We want you guys to um, really interact with us and debate and all that stuff that we do on the show that you love so much. Um, so you can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E. Ed, where can they find you? They can find me at Bourbon Geek on Instagram. That's where I tend to like to hang out. Jake? Sailor? Hey, you can find me at Sailor Retro <laughs> on Instagram. And just to give a couple shout outs, several people have contacted me on Instagram lately. And I don't have the list in front of me. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for giving feedback on the show and telling me that you're a fan. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. We work really hard on this show. Um, Again, thank you so much to our very special guest last week, Scotch Trooper, who I'm sure we will have back on again. Oh, yeah. And um, also, as always, shout out to When Particles Collide for providing us with our kick-ass music. They are on tour always. Please go to whenparticlescollide.com, find them on Facebook or Instagram, and see their tour dates. Do not miss them. They rule. They're super awesome. If they're coming to a city near you, go see them. They always are. No matter where they they are. are. And and we had them on on an episode, and they were so much fun. Oh, they're a blast. They were awesome. And their story is super cool. You can read about their story on their website. Yeah. And you can support them as well. Um, so Check definitely them give them a follow, please. And uh, shout out to the Drinking Darlings. And to, yep. please excuse my dead aunt Sally and the Scotch Test Dummies. You. Well, another week in the books, guys. Another another band that uh, hey, we get to check off minute. my list. Wait, hold on. Uh, hold whoa, 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 hold whoa, it now. Whoa. Hold it now. Whoa. See what I did there? Hold it now. Hold it now. Hold, hit okay. It, hit it. <laughs> it's our anniversary. Oh yeah! Oh, what? Well, sort of. E- explain. Well, expo- explain. Explain. Yeah. Is there a cake? Do we have a cake? Uh, I didn't. We wish there was cake. cake. Oh. <laughs> I'm, you know, after after a few whiskeys, somebody uh, cake sounds cake? really good. Anybody? It does really sound, <laughs> sounds Ooh, great. Damn, it sounds really good right now. <laughs> hey, little dab, can you send us all a cake, please? Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. She's the can bourbon maker. The She'll probably make it, make sure it's no, a vanilla no, cake. I she posts oh the best pictures of food that I've oh ever seen. I know it's on unreal. Instagram. It's unreal. Some people post pictures of food and it doesn't look that great. You know what's no, really cool? She posts just, pictures and everything she eat, she makes. I just want to have at that moment. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? To expand on that, if you go to her website, which I have, you can make the stuff that she's making. She makes, I have yeah. made yeah. stuff with my daughter that she has posted on her website. And it's awesome. I mean, you can do it. It's it's like having a, you know interactive cookbook, and it's tons of fun. Dad, yes, a dad like me, I get to drink bourbon and cook with bourbon, and my daughter gets to make food, which she loves to do. It's a win win. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure she won't send us a cake, but we love her anyway. Yes. And um, check her Chrissy. out. She might send a us a virtual cake. Um, so yeah, so it's our anniversary this week. Who brought it up? I brought it up. I, I, I noticed I that this this <laughs> was the day, the first day that you p- kind of put the call out to us guys. Um, say, hey, I got this idea for a show. That was the day. Oh. Yep. Because mm-hmm. we had had... 
um, a very lively discussion um, on Instagram after I posted about two Metallica <laughs> albums. And I had already had this idea for months and months and months, and I just couldn't really <laughs> grasp how it was going to put together yet until this discussion happened. Also, this leads us into another shout-out to Firewater Review. We love our brothers there. Yes. Hell yeah. Um, Seth was involved in the discussion as well. And... Um, yeah, so you guys were who I chose, and I could not be any happier. So this is kind of like that that day no that you that day you regret <laughs> that day you regret asking us to be part of your show. <laughs> I have zero no remorse, no regrets, no regrets, no regrets. No regrets. Nope. I couldn't be happier with my choice. I mean. Scotch Trooper, I feel like, might take over one of our jobs one day. But <laughs> Oh, my gosh. He was awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, so, uh, happy anniversary, guys. Yes. Yep. And just so the fans know, too, the listeners. I shouldn't say fans. I don't know if they're fans, but they're listeners. Somebody's listening to us. Um, <laughs> we, so we kind of, this is what, September 12th, and we started talking and I started sussing out ideas, and we did. So our first show wasn't released until January. <laughs> so but. just so you guys understand, that's September, October, <laughs> November, December. So we practiced for several months, and we um, recorded several practice yeah. episodes. We recorded a few. many practice episodes, trying to get our audio right. I've never seen it. Yep, we had to get our, our audio right. habits in check. Yes. <laughs> getting our drinking <laughs> habits right. <laughs> Try not to all get drunk on every single episode. So I'll tell you right now what we have, what I still have in my possession that I've never released. So Don't we did um, <laughs> several Aussie recordings. Oh, fudge. And several Metallica recordings. Mm. They're so bad. No. They're so never. bad. Oh, my God. No. Oh, God, I don't know. It's don't probably know. so. I remember that like first episode, I was like, I was using my iPhone and my Bluetooth headset. <laughs> and I mean, we were all over the place. We were all using, we were on one, like one channel recording. Now we're, you know, we've, we're all recording on separate recordings. And yeah, Ed, 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 thank God, is like, taking over a as wizard, editor. Become a thank wizard, uh, making us not. <laughs> You know, not sound terrible <laughs> amongst all a, of our I problems. I think I do a better job on the timeline these days, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no, for previously. sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and the news. Well, yeah, we've made a lot of changes. Ho- we come and hopefully, far. hopefully, uh, you know, I, I feel like maybe in those uh, first couple episodes, we we were maybe a little robotic, like just trying to stick to a format. And I think we've well, sure. Yeah, I hope, oh, I hope, yeah. hope we yeah. found. I hope we found a groove. I, I feel like we found a groove. I, I, I feel like I'm we're intergalactic. Yeah, I think I feel like we're intergalactic planetary. <laughs> or planetary intergalactic, <laughs> if you will. Oh, I mean, snap. luckily, no one wanted to sabotage us. <laughs> oh, touche, my friend. <laughs> She's crafty. Oh. oh, man. Don't you just love oh, girls? Oh, jeez. <laughs> man, if we were a little bit better, we could uh, we could rhyme, <laughs> we could rhyme it and steal it. But we're not. Uh, 
so <laughs> what you what you what you want oh you know what i want a little Ultimately. bit of, a little bit more brouhaha oh I guess man. what i would like okay we're done this is very, this we're is really bad right now this is this episode's over we need to put our root down had, right now we oh you had to get that one in Nicely done. Okay, we're gonna leave it at that because this we're out of here like Paul Revere. <laughs> damn it, Ed. This Ed. No sleep oh. till next week. <laughs> this episode's not gonna get any better at this point. Nope, it's all downhill. So from shut it down. Ten we minutes had, ago, we had an awesome time. Sailor, we can find you at Sailor Retro. I don't know if you mentioned that. You can find me at Bourbon Spartan on Instagram. Guys, go check out our previous episodes, especially last week with Scotch Trooper. It was absolutely amazing with Tool. We talked about Tool. We got in-depth with Tool, with Star Wars, with Scotch. It was amazing. Go check those episodes out and uh, and hang hang with us uh, You know, moving forward. But for now, tip your waitress and get the hell out of here. See you. Later, everyone. Fuck you, Lars. There it is. Oh my god, I had to pee so bad.